0: The book of Judges. and um, For those that are just joining us for for this Sunday, or for those that haven't been here, um, we are in uh, we are going through the book of Judges. So forgive us; we're right into the into the middle of this. Uh, we're in Judges chapter seven, and, uh, and and I'd love just to read it read through this as much of this as possible. What a plan to do this morning. What my notes are telling me is that we're going from Judges chapter 7 to Judges chapter 10 verse 5. And, uh, and somehow I don't think we're going to get that far. But I'd, what I'd love to do is I'd love us to read together. Again, I know that they're long, long portions, but I'm just increasingly passionate that we would be committed to this book together, that we study through this, that we read it, that we catch it, that we just engage with, with his word and so I'd love that Kirsty's going to come and read Judges chapter 7 for us. Then I will read Judges chapter 8. I'll do a quick recap from last week. And then there's two or three things that I'd love us to see in these few chapters this morning. All right? Thank you so much, Kirsty.
1: Then Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him, rose early and encamped beside the spring of Harod, and the camp of Midian was north of them, by the hill of Moreh in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And any, of, any one of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you. And give the Midianites into your hand, and let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the three hundred men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah your servant. And you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade, And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, and came to the tent, and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down, so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all here with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, when they had just set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches, and in their right hands the trumpets to blow, and they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled when they blew the three hundred trumpets. The Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army and the army fled as far as Bethsheda towards Zer- Zerera as far as the border of Abel Meholah and by Tabith. and the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them, as far as Bethbara and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they captured the waters as far as Bethbara and also the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. Then they pursued Midian, and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. What about that?
0: Perfect. Thank you so much. It's all sounding pretty good at Judges chapter 7. Keep keep your Bibles open. Chapter 8, the Ephraimites asked Gideon, Why have you treated us like this? Why didn't you call us when you went to fight Midian? And they criticized him sharply. But he answered them, what have I accomplished compared to you? Aren't the gleanings of Ephraim's grapes better than the full grape harvest of Abizor? God gave Oreb and Zeb, the Midianite leaders, into your hands. What was I able to do compared to you? At this, the resentment against him subsided. Gideon and his 300 men, exhausted, yet keeping up the pursuit, came to the Jordan and crossed it. He said to the men of Sukkoth, give my troops some bread. They are worn out, and I am still pursuing Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. But the officials of Zuccoth said, Do you already have the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna in your possession? Why should we give bread to your troops? Gideon replied, Just for that, when the Lord has given Ziba and Zalmunna into my hand, I will tear your flesh with desert thorns and briars. And from there he went up to Peniel and made the same request of them. But they answered as the men of Succoth had. So he said to the men of Peniel, When I return in triumph, I will tear down this tar. Verse 10: Zeba and Zalmunna were in Karkor when a force with a force of about 15,000 men and all that were left of the armies of the eastern peoples, 120,000 swordsmen, had fallen. Gideon went up by the route of the nomads east of Noba and Jogbaha and fell upon the unsuspecting army. Zeba and Zalmunna, the two kings of Midian, fled, but he pursued them and captured them, rooting their entire army. Uh, just just go on down there to verse 18. He asked Zeba and Zalmunna, "What kind of men did you kill at Tabor? Men like you?" They answered, "Each one with with the bearing of a prince." And verse 19. Gideon replied, "Those were my brothers, the sons of my own mother. As surely as the Lord lives, if you had spared their lives, I would not I would not kill you. Turning to Jether, his oldest son, he said, "Kill them." But Jether did not draw his sword because he was only a boy and he was afraid. Zeba and Zalmunna said, "Come and do it yourself." As is the man, so is his strength. So Gideon stepped forward and killed them. took the ornaments off their camel's necks. Verse 22, the Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you have saved us out of the hand of the Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And he said, I do have one request, that each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. They answered, we'll be glad to give them. So they spread out a garment, and each man threw a ring from his plunder into it. The weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels, but not counting the ornaments, the pendants, and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian or the chains that were on the camel's necks. Gideon made the gold into ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshipping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Thus Midian was subdued before the Israelites and did not raise its head again. During Gideon's lifetime, the land enjoyed peace for 40 years. Jerobal, son of Joash, went back home to live. He had seventy sons of his own, for he had many wives. His concubine, who lived in Sechem, also bore him a son, whom he named Abimelech. And Gideon, son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of his father, Joash, in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. No sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. They set up Baalbereth as their god and did not remember the Lord their god, who had rescued them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. And they also failed to show kindness to the family of Jeroboam, that is Gideon, for all the good things he had done for them. Father, thank you for your word, and I and, uh, just pray that you, would, that you would help us. Father, I need you. Uh, we all need you as we just engage with this this morning. So we um, pray that you grab, once again, you have the attention of our minds and the affection of our hearts in Jesus' name. I mean a lot of stuff in those uh, two chapters. Uh, thanks for following through with uh, with that. Um, really quickly, just to go back, we started in the the story of Gideon last Sunday. Introduced to the next judge in this series, and uh, just really quickly, there was I think there was probably four things that I, that I really wanted you to take away from last week. So really quickly, the four takeaways from last week, the first one being that uh, we, were, we were asking you, we were challenging each other with the idea that there is a huge difference between regret and repentance. And so it's why in the story of Gideon, there's a, diff- there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a change in the cycle. The Lord, before he sent a deliverer, he sent a prophet. Father was so, so longing that the people would know true repentance, that there would be a true change of heart. Something something significant would take place, and so he sent them a prophet. He sent them a, a sermon, and, uh, and so we talked about the difference between regret and repentance. We talked about the need to throw off the enemy among us before we are concerned about throwing off the enemy around us. And so Gideon had to go to his father's house, to his own father's house, and, uh, and take down the, the idols, take down the altars that were set up to the foreign gods. And, uh, and then he went to confront the enemy that was around him. And that's the same for us as we, we looked into Ephesians chapter, chapter 4 and, uh, and seen this need that we would deal with the stuff that is among us in order to deal with the stuff that is around us. We spoke of Gideon whenever the angel of the Lord comes and says, Gideon, you mighty warrior. We, uh, we talked around the potential, and we love, we love that language around here. We love to say that this room's filled with potential, but we also want to say that potential is not enough. The potential needs to be combined with the knowledge that who it is that goes with you and who it is that sends you. And so Gideon needed to hear that. He'd heard, he'd heard, he'd heard about the potential. He'd wrestled with, are you, are you really saying that's who I am? And then the Lord has to come and remind them, don't forget who it is that sends you. And don't forget who it is that will go with you. And we talked about the same thing for us. As we're given the Great Commission. We are, we're told of the potential that we have to go and bring the gospel and hope to all the nations. That's the potential. But don't forget who it is that sends you. And don't forget who it is that goes with you. And then at the end, as we wrapped things up last Sunday, we, we talked around the fleece, the famous fleece. Towards the end of chapter six, and uh, and we said that sometimes Gideon gets a hard time, criticise Gideon heavily because he uh, this is such a lack of faith. But the thing about it is, that struck me last week was that God, God responded, and if it was such an awful thing, how come God responded? And so we finished off our time by saying, almost praying something similar to what Gideon I think was praying. God, I believe. I believe. But help me overcome my unbelief, and that's where we finished last last day, uh, last Sunday. There've been many times throughout uh, throughout the series, throughout the book of Judges, throughout the entirety of Scripture. I think that we we see moments, and we've already read it. Kirsty's already read for us how how crazy it seems that that in. Uh, Midian was, a va- Midian was a vast army. These, this was a powerful, full of military strength. This was a big army. And already, already they were lacking. Already by the, by the world's standards, they didn't have enough. Gideon and his army were not enough. 32,000, no weapons, no real strategy. And already they were well on the back foot. Already they were way behind. And God comes and says, you have too many people. And so it's one of those things that I think we've talked about and we've seen throughout this series that, and I think Paul, possibly Paul was thinking about stories like Gideon whenever he wrote the first, uh, the first letter to the Corinthian church. And this is what he says, let me remind you of what he says at the end of the first chapter of First Corinthians. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. All those things I think we've heard, we heard Gideon say. We heard Moses say. We've heard it many times. But God, I always love seeing that in the Bible. But God. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things that no one may boast before him. He who boasts, boasts in the Lord. And Paul, had, Paul had caught that lesson. I think he caught it from from hearing and knowing the stories from from of old. And it's just, I've, I've been struck. It's been one of those weeks where as I've, as I've went back into Judges 7 and 8 and 9, every time I open Judges 7, it, it was that verse too that it was like it was it was bouncing off the page. It was like it was in capitals. It was like it was in bigger letters all week. You have too many men. And so I've, I've wrestled with that. I've wrestled with it from the point of view that how often in the West especially, how often in, in Northern Ireland, across the, the Western world, we think that we need more we've convinced ourselves that if we get a bigger building if we get more people if we get extra resources if we get extra training and all of that stuff is good all of that stuff is is fine but we have convinced ourselves that until we get all of that we can never fulfill the thing that god has called us to do until we have some more money some more stuff we'll not be able to do the things that he's called us to do and so God, Father is trying to teach us the opposite. You have too many men get in, and if you win, even with even with thirty-two thousand, if you win this battle with thirty-two thousand, you'll think that it was because of because you did it yourselves. And my fear is that there's there's one. Um, There's one famous preacher that said, "95%." Speaking again of the Western world, 95% of what goes on in our churches, if the Holy Spirit left today, everything 95% would still continue on. It's almost what we've got so used to doing it in our own human resources, our own with our own human resources, in our own human ability. We've convinced ourselves that to do what He's asked us to do, we need more stuff and to read what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, to read what God is saying to Gideon in chapter 7, it seems to go against that. We said last week, and that's why I can sometimes so relate to Gideon. If I'm being really honest, I've I've found myself so relating to Gideon over the last couple of weeks that it's there's been times this week that I've got so cross because I've identified so well with Gideon, and this week Gideon has done my head in Gideon has made me so cross so upset so sad so grieved at his story and and then I think god I said last week that I can so identify with this man and again even in those times of his greatest weakness I'm still identifying with him and it's so frustrating because like Gideon we can't imagine beyond our own human abilities We can't imagine beyond our own human resources. And God is so good. He comes in the way that only he can. And he's trying to say one more time to Gideon, Gideon, you have all that you need. What have you learned? What have I been trying to teach you? What's the lesson that I've been trying to teach you from a call you? That I'm with you. That it's me that's sending you. And because of that, you have all that you need. God, if only I could understand that. If only I could take a hold of that. This is what he wants to teach his people. And if we will let him, it's what he wants to teach us. What he longs to teach us. He would say to his children, if you know that I've called you, if you've responded to my call, as David got caught up in that memory of where God took him from and where he's taken him to we sang it in our songs because of Jesus because of Jesus and if we've responded to that then he sends us and he goes with us and reminds us over and over again you have all that you need you have all that you need and so in one move in one move this army is reduced from 32,000 to 10,000 Two thirds of them just gone, and it was because this was the question that was asked. This was the challenge that was laid out. If anyone, if anyone is afraid, anyone who is trembling with fear, you may turn back and go home. And imagine twenty-two thousand people. You're already you're already panicking as it is. You're already thinking you don't have enough. You're already thinking you don't have what it takes and you watch two-thirds of your resources, two-thirds of what you thought you needed, walk away, walk home. And there's been there's been times this week where I've, where I've gone between that would have been awful, and there's times where I've thought, do you know what? This was probably best. Because I don't know how close you've got to fear. I don't know how How near you've got to people who are filled with fear. But fear is contagious. Fear is contagious. And so it's why it's so important. Why it becomes probably quite significant that all those who are afraid leave. Because fear would grip the rest. Fear is contagious. And and so 22,000 leave. And then once again, the Lord comes. You've still too many. Is still too many, and uh, and puts out another test, and it reduces again. It reduces again to three hundred, and so maybe you'll be bold enough to ask this question to yourself that I've been asking myself all week. I find myself saying this every Sunday. Some of the things that I find myself challenged with, sometimes it becomes. There's times where it's overwhelming, feeling that the Father is speaking, feeling that that he's calling me to respond. And so it's why I make sure that every Sunday I'm I'm not carrying these challenges by myself. You're getting them too. You're going to journey this with me. And so what is it that we need to get rid of? What is it you've convinced yourself that you need to do the thing that he's asked you to do? There's some stuff, just material, just material things. Is there some, some just self, some self that you need to get rid of? Some mindset, some baggage that, that, that needs to go. You've held on to it because you think you need it. You've held on to it because you've convinced yourself that, that, uh, that without it you will not be able to do the thing that he's called you to. And so we can't. Uh, not enough time for you to, to, to wrestle with that because we want to get on to the next point. But I'm asking you and encouraging you, and this Wednesday night when we meet, that you begin to, to be honest around these questions that we're asking, around these challenges that, that, that seem to be coming uh, from this series as we continue to go through it. 300 people left. And there's something, in the, there's something in those few verses that happen after that I'd love to come back to at the end of time. But really quickly, in verse 13, again, Kirsty read that uh, Gideon arrived as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream. That the round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp and it struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed the friend responded this can be none other than Gideon god has given the midianites and the whole camp into his hands and so again i just want to i just want to acknowledge this first because it's one of the things i think it's one of the threads that we've that we've pulled at as we've gone through this this series is the constant constant unexpectedness Every time we think we have it boxed in, every time we think there's a neat little pattern, there's a neat little story, something comes along and and shows us that we just can't keep it neat. We can't keep God in a box. We can't keep what he wants to do confined to our mindsets, confined to our patterns of the way that we think he should do things, the way that we think that he should act. And so we hear... This is unexpected because this is a dream. This is a dream from God to a people who don't know him. And I just find that so interesting, especially because I'm reading through the book of Daniel at the minute. And you come across Nebuchadnezzar, a man filled with pride, filled with arrogance, filled with evil that would that would put uh, three servants of the Lord into the into the fire. But yet he had a dream. God give him a dream. He speaks in the most unexpected ways. And what I love about being part of Drop-In is that there's stories of people that we hear of in the Middle East. People in the Muslim world. And so I love he- watching a YouTube clip of a testimony of a Muslim who's had a dream, encountered Jesus in a dream and, and, uh, and ends up having a, a wonderful dramatic conversion. And I love that and I celebrate those stories. But to, to, but to hear it to hear it firsthand, to hear first hand accounts of, of guys that we know and are serving alongside and partnering with across the world that that uh, that send an email, that send a message to say there was a lady in Egypt, she had a dream, she encountered Jesus in a dream, and because she encountered Jesus and gave her life to Jesus, she had to flee because her life was in danger and finds herself at the at the at the home at the ministry of friends of ours and and uh, and just radically following Jesus, having to give up everything. But even in in her unbelieving state, God in his graciousness and his generosity still comes in a dream, shows up unexpectedly in places that we never thought he would, in ways that we never thought he would. And and he continues to do that through the story, and we're longing that he, if uh, if we begin to take off those mindsets, we begin to to, to get rid of all of those things that we think that we need our intellect I love, I love reading good books so I'm not dismissing intellect but sometimes we need to even get rid of that to see the, thing that, the new thing that he longs to do we get to verse 16 and we see the method by how this is going to carry out no military strategy necessarily no military strength it's going to be with, with empty jars and torches and in verse 16, we, we see that he divides the 300 men into three companies and he gives them trumpets and an empty jar in the hands of all of them with torches inside. I have a friend who, who reading, through these, reading through Judges, says that uh, the, referring to the trumpets and the empty jars, here we have weapons of mass disorientation. Weapons of mass disorientation, and we have the empty jar, and we have the torches, and and uh, and again, there's, there, to be really honest, there was this morning I just felt that there was something about that empty jar. I didn't get enough, I haven't got enough time to think this through, but there's something about the empty jar, and and uh, and it's Paul that says, uh, uh, "Where's the scholars' treasures and jars of clay?" Second Corinthians four. Uh, we have this treasures in jars of clay so that we know that that anything that happens that all all surpassing power it comes from him and not from us and what he can do with a with an empty jar what he can win what he can if we uh, if we give our empty jar into the hands of those that will say yes to Jesus and them, we get to verse 21 we get to verse 21 and uh let me make this point as well. I'd love you to consider this. Verse 21 of chapter 7. While each man held his position around the camp, all the enemy fled, crying out as they ran. And again, there's been something about that this week. Verse 2 you have too many men. You need to get rid of some of the stuff that you're over reliant on. Verse 21. Maintain your position. Stand firm. Paul says it over and over again. Stand firm. Maintain your position. And these 300 men all of a sudden become uh, incredibly inspirational. Because the, 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 the reason why they've been able to stand firm, I think the reason why they've been able to hold position, is because number one, in verse three, they were not afraid. And the second point, in verse 7, they were attentive. And I just think he's he's just longing for people that will not be tossed to and fro, that will not be blown away by every circumstance or every wind of doctrine or everything that comes in to try and disorientate you or to try and distract you or try to steal your joy or take away your purpose. He's longing for people. He's longing for those that will stand firm and and will stand firm when we're not afraid. When we know who it is that sent us. When we know who it is that goes with us. And we'll be those that are attentive. Be attentive to what it is that he's saying. Be attentive to what it is that's going on. See, those that got down and and lapped it up, not knowing what what was going on around him. Not attentive to what was going on around him that ended up being sent home. So for those of us, each one of us, I think he's calling us to stand firm. Maintain your position, church. Maintain your position, church. Don't be afraid. Stay alert. Remain attentive. There's something that Father's teaching the the people of Israel, but teaching us as well, even today. But I, wanna, I don't want to ignore it. I'd almost love to ignore what, what looks like the unraveling of Gideon's testimony in verse 18 these are Gideon, this is Gideon speaking Gideon speaks and says getting getting the people ready getting the 300 ready when you get to the edge of the camp do what I do and all of a sudden we had this we had this reluctant leader that was hiding out hiding out in the wine press trying to get a feed for himself and ends up Not too long later saying, everybody watch me, look at me, follow my lead, do exactly what I do. do. Blow your trumpets. Then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. I see, well, something must be wrong here. Gideon, surely that's not what you're going to get the people to shout and and a couple of verses later, it gets worse because they blow their trumpets and they say that that victory is within their grasp unexpectedly, and they shout. What Gideon has asked them to shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And just that verse is just so so concerned me again because it's frustrating. Because Gideon is a man with a nature just like ours. And for Gideon to get to that place where he become so reliant on God. Got to that place where he begin to trust in his nature, began to trust in who it was that was calling him. Began to walk in, in obedience, begin to walk in faith. And the, the dangers of success are Never far away from those that are in leadership. The, the risk of pride, the risk of taking credit for something that only he could have done. It's never far away from people who are in leadership. And I think Gideon proves that. And just a, by the way, I don't know if there's any significance to the end of verse of chapter 7. But the enemy that, that Gideon was, was going after was defeated at the rock. And it was at the rock, if you remember back in chapter 6, it was at the rock where, where Gideon realized who it was that was calling him. He brought an offering, and the offering was consumed at the rock, and, and he realized there that that's, he knew who it was that had called him. He defeated the other enemy at the wine press. And you remember the wine press? It was the wine press that Gideon was hiding out, but it was the wine press that where he was called. I just thinking, in God's in God's mercy, is he trying to get Gideon's attention? Get in. That sword for the Lord and for Gideon, that wasn't wise. That was not a good move. And the rock and the wine press remind us again. Maybe hopefully it would have reminded Gideon. Get in! Don't forget where you were when I called you. Don't forget the moment that I revealed myself to you. My goodness, I've six pages and I've done one. Um, a couple of things. Let me let me try and share a couple of things. That I, Verse four of, of chapter eight. Let me take note of it. It feels like this is a moment just before it all it all began to go very got turned very dark. Exhausted. Said of Gideon and his three hundred men they were and those that had gathered around him. They were exhausted yet keeping up the pursuit. I'm just looking for people that would they're looking for uh, the guys in Sukoth and the guys in Peniel that we just come alongside them. We're, we're on the front foot. We're retreating. We're not stepping back. But we need some of you to come along with us. We need some of you to enter into this journey with us. And they don't. I think there's some stuff about that we'll come back to next week. But to say in this, I, I, was, I love what Spurgeon says. Spurgeon, I don't know if it was in relation to this verse, but this is a quote. From Charles Spurgeon, if you, dear brothers and sisters, will give yourselves wholly to God's work, although you will never get tired of it, you will get tired in it. If a man has never tired himself working for God, I should think he has never done any work that was worth doing. So, for those of you that may be feeling like that, exhausted yet yet keeping pursuit, Spurgeon's quote acknowledges us that you acknowledges you'll never get tired of it, but you'll get tired in it. And so we're saying, keep going and believing that there will be ones that will not respond the way Sukkoth did and not respond the way Peniel did. They were essentially saying, well, once you get the victory, once you win, once you're successful, we'll come alongside you then. And then the marrying, how, how his words, his words just do not marry up with his actions let me, let, me, let me come back to some of that next next Sunday I want to finish with this, I want to go back to to Judges chapter 7 so the two or three things that I felt Lord really highlighting for us this morning was, was what I've already shared in verse 2, you have too many men what I've already shared in verse 21 while, while, each, while each man and this morning, while each man and woman held his position But the thing I want to finish with, the third thing I want to finish with that I just felt like the Lord just kept bringing me back to you and going over it and over it and over it was in um, verse 9. During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down to the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. Brilliant. Look how good God is. Look how gracious and kind he is. He says in verse 10, almost accommodating that wrestling that's still going on within Gideon. He accommodates it. It's almost like he goes out of his way to continue to confirm to Gideon that he's with him. Gideon, if you're still afraid to attack, go down to the, go down to the camp with your servant and listen to what they are saying. And afterwards, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. And so, uh, so as David comes back up to lead us in worship in a few minutes, if there's some stuff that I've already talked about around that Neville's led us in, some of that stuff maybe around anxiety, maybe there's some stuff around this final point that some of you maybe just need to be reassured. You just need some reassurance. And i encourage you not to feel guilty about feeling that you're at that place. I think sometimes we miss the, how gentle and kind it is because we feel guilty. We feel like we're, we're with a lack of faith that we would be so desperate for reassurance. But over and over again, he gives it. It doesn't concern him. It doesn't offend him, and he, and and even though he's given us your, pro, he's given us the promise. He's re- He said to Gideon, get in, get in. I'm giving this into your hands. All you have to do is go down and take it. And he said, he's he's saying that he's given promises and 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 words over many of you in this room. Those of you that have said yes to Jesus, the promises that are over each one of our lives are 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 stunning, incredible. If we could. If we could grasp them and fully take hold of them, but but I think God, even even though he, he He says that and promises that, and confirms that in His Word over and over again, He would still say, "But Gideon, if you, if you're still afraid, if there's still something that you want Me to say, if there's still something that you want to m- Me to reveal, then then come, come on, come on, till i show you." come on and I'm going to let you hear something that's going to encourage you to go again. It's going to encourage you. It's going to reassure you. And we could argue that Gideon, surely Gideon of all people, doesn't need any more evidence that God is with him, that God is for him. We think of the cross as David has led us in worship this morning. We think of the cross. Do you need any more evidence? Do you need anything more proof to say that he loves you that he's for you, that he is totally committed to you. Do you need any more evidence? But he's that good and he's that gracious that he'll say, well, if you still are afraid, if you still need some reassurance, then come on. Come on. Let me speak. Let me let me, let me, me allow you to hear something that's going to encourage you to go again. But I think there needs to be a bit of a disclaimer with this. Because sometimes in... in and going to the place of reassurance, you need to take a risk Forgetting it he had to take a risk to get to that place where he would once again be reassured that he'd be encouraged to go again he had to step into the he had to step into the enemy's territory he had to get out from the from the from the bubble of of being with with god's people and i love and I love the church don't I? I don't want to be misinterpreted. I love the church. I'm passionate about environments like this, completely passionate about environments like this. But sometimes we, we, end up being, we end up staying within the four walls. We end up staying where it's so comfortable and so confined and so safe that we end up being so riddled with fear and anxiety and lack of attention whenever we step out into the, into the world. Don't stay. Don't stay in your church bubble. Don't stay in the place of safety and comfort, and expect him to to speak. Expect him to reassure you for something that you're not going to do if you just stay here. He longs to reassure you, and I think he would love to do that this this morning, this afternoon, even just as we worship. That you would open yourself. You'd be willing. Just to allow him to to. To, to speak deep to move you deeply in those places where we've tried to challenge you this morning. And so uh, so as David comes to the lead, Holy Spirit, would you just have your way with each one of us? Whatever's in this, God, you wanna that you wanna speak, that you wanna just confirm and, and do among us, we we say come. We say come. We we open ourselves up, we allow you. You know, force yourself upon us. And so, God, would there be a spirit of just uh, opening ourselves before you, giving you permission to come and just work out those things in our lives that we need to work out in Jesus' name.